What's up, headbangers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast, and our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and all of our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And man, today we are honored to have one of the most iconic bass players in all of hard rock and heavy metal. He uh, came on our radar with Quiet Riot back in the early 80s. Uh, that album Metal Health exploded all over MTV and radio, went to number one on the charts, put heavy metal into the mainstream, sold more than 10 million copies worldwide. And he's also played with uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Whitesnake, Ronnie James Dio. Uh, he was with Whitesnake um, on the 1987 tour, which produced the hits Still of the Night, Here I Go Again, Is This Love? And he did the Ozzy Osbourne tours, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. Of course, those tours were legendary and basically saved Ozzy's career as a recording musician. So Amen. real honor to have with us today, Rudy Sarzo on the Talk Louder podcast. You know, I don't mm. think we had actually officially met. I mean, I, I, of course, I've been a fan for years, but yeah. I actually shook a your reached out hand at Monsters on the Mountain for the very first time. I remember you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. I know that dude. Yeah. Uh, I was saying hi to Jizzy, and then you you put your hand out. I was like, oh, my God, Rudy Sarso wants to shake my hand? Why not? Uh, Any friend of Jizzy is a friend of mine. <laughs> that's, just, that's just love and, and the circle of rock and roll. Yes. Matt, Rudy, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today as someone oh, who's my pleasure. followed thank your you career. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, of course, of course. Um Man, there's so much I want to cover, but let's start with uh, let's start with the single. I can't hold on. Um, mm -hmm. For people that don't know, it's a it's a bonus track on the re-release of the Rehab album, and the Rehab album is called Rehab Relapsed and Remastered, I believe, and it's out now. And there's a track on there called I Can't Hold On. It is a demo that was recently resurfaced. Uh, a demo of Kevin singing with guitarist Alex Grassi playing guitar. And they asked you to come in and put some bass tracks on it and flesh out the song. And now we have this beautiful tribute song. Tell us a little bit about how you were approached to contribute to that song. And then I want to talk a little bit about the video. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, oh, yeah. And also, I would like to add that it's Frankie Benali playing drums on that. Too. Of course. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, how the whole well actually the, I, like you mentioned this is a song that uh, kevin and alex wrote together and they recorded it and uh by the time that i got it frankie's drums were on it and uh so i wasn't <laughs> i wasn't around for the tracking process so i can only give you my impression so so the uh, the demo gets put away and then kevin passes and then after that, Frankie passed, you know, uh, Kevin, I believe, passed in 2007 and Frankie in 2020. So when I came back to the group, 
Alex and I, we were talking about new material for a future, you know. And so, so we, he started looking on his computer. I started looking on mine. And he came across the song because he had forgotten about it. <clears throat> so, so uh, they, you know, they sent, they sent it to me and I track it. And uh, I just, I just want to get an idea of, of who your listeners, watchers are, because I could go either muse, muso or just the average person. <laughs> Probably a little bit of both, somewhere in the middle, well, if you don't mind. <laughs> a mu- a musical average person. Okay, I got it. Uh, so, you know, I the first time that I recorded with Quiet Riot was back in the 70s, but not you know, we were doing demos, not on, on a uh, record, you right. know, to be, to be released, you know, it was just demos. And, but that means that I went through the process of understanding where the band comes from. Cause you know, even though it's, you know, let's say from mental health, that song is 40 years later, still is rooted in quiet riot. So I wanted to have like a, you know, I always keep that in mind. There's a certain foundation, musical foundation, to right. the sound and where the, uh, where the music is coming from. So being aware of that, and also even prior to me joining Choir Riot, I was playing with Frankie Benelli. I met him in November 18, 1972. So by the time we did Metal Health, the, the, you know, the record, I had been playing with Frankie for 10 years. Wow. Uh, touring, you know, like uh, do, playing clubs around the Midwest, you know, with uh, with uh, top forty bands. Top forty, top forty was really cool back then. You know, <laughs> back in the seventies, it's not the top forty of today. A- you AM know. gold, <laughs> AM gold. Yeah. I can't. That's right. That's I can right. imagine the set list yeah. was amazing. Oh God! Well, you know, you always sneak in things things that you wanted to, you know. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily the top forty, but you know, commercial, commercial rock, you know, and. Uh, and then we moved to LA together in 77 and then we struggled to keep our rhythm section together. We did various projects. We were living together, like I mentioned. And then finally, 1982, I'm, I'm there with, uh, with Frankie recording Thunderbird, which was the, the song that I came in to record while I was still a member of Ozzy, like uh, days away from me going to New York to record Speak of the Devil. But that's another story that maybe we'll, we'll get into later on. If you ask me the, the question that will lead me there. <laughs> um, so so I, I take that into consideration, the fact that, yeah, I know what the thought process is when you go into work on a, on a choir riot song, you know, the certain ingredients that certain instruments must include in the tracking because that's part of the choir riot sound. Right. Uh, having said that, when I listened to the song, especially since it was uh, co-written by Alex, so it was not a Randy Rhodes or a Carlos Cavazzo composition, it was an Alex composition. So he brings a bit of, of a more modern approach to the core structure and the voicings that he plays and the feel because he's, uh, he's from a younger generation. But then again, he had been in the he has been in the band for over twenty years. Right. So he was mentored by Kevin. So he really what I understand he he understands too. He gets that 
he gets the roots of Quiet Riot, and they become part of his, uh, especially working with Quiet as composing for Quiet Riot. He brings those elements into the compositions. So I I listened to it and I said okay, and I, I gave it a lot of thought, and I I brought in the guys spiritually into the room, which is basically this room that I'm sitting here right now talking to you guys. And uh, that's how, that's how I, I, I recorded it. Because, you know, when nowadays, you, you know, I, I do this on my own. Somebody sends me some tracks and then I, I put, I have to play producer, engineer, player, guy, the guy making the coffee. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the best at that. I, that's, that's what I'm really good at. <laughs> I want to record at your studio. I hear the coffee is magnificent. <laughs> the coffee is, yes, yes. It's actually Cuban coffee. It's like rocket fuel. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so that, that, that was basically my process. You know, I, I actually, I, I used a, uh, a fretless on that because I wanted to do something a little, Ooh, a little bit different, more more melodic and legato in the playing, and then you know there's the uh, the eighth notes in there, you know driving the uh, the the, uh, the verses. I mean, I'm sorry, the choruses. But as far as the verses go, I wanted to have more of a melodic melodic feel to it. You know, yeah. kind of like almost shadowing what Kevin is singing and finding some holes in there to be melodic. Yeah, yeah. What what went through your mind the first time you heard Kevin's vocals after so many years? And you'd never Actually, heard these vocals before either. So. No, I thought it was, if not the best, some of the best vocal work he's ever done. And the fact that it was just a demo, he approached it as a demo, not as something like, okay, this is going to go on the record. So maybe that's 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 what where the magic is. You don't give it too much thought. You know, as far as like in my own pitch, in my not on pitch, you just you just emote. It's all about the emotion. Right. It's all about being the messenger, even though he wrote the message. That's his lyrics. So you got both. You got the message delivered by the yeah by the messenger who wrote the message delivers right. it. You know. Right. So there's a very magical, organic feel to it. There's no pressure. You know. Uh, there's there's something about there, there's a little bit of a survival element to most rock musicians that do not make a living out of being studio session guys because if you're a session guy you're you're not gonna go on the road you're gonna spend your life showing up at the studio just about every day so it's like second nature but if you happen to be performing you know a lot like let's say in my case you know we would just go into studio when we were on break. Mm. And and then all of a sudden, you know, you have you have to get accustomed to the laboratory that is a recording studio. When I, I'm talking about the proper way of doing it, you know, or the traditional way of doing it, not necessarily the proper, uh, which is you know, you bring the producer, the engineer, you book the studio, you start micing things up. You know, you might even have some pre-production working with with the uh, with the producer with the arrangement, you know, things like that. It becomes a very, uh, uh, you know, it's like under a microscope, everything right. that you right. do. A little bit militant you know? sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and now that we do things on our own, you know, I, I might play something and just not even deliver it until I listen to it the following day. And I go, am I really happy with this? 
because you know the following day you're probably going to hear it more like listening to it the first time and not even listen to it as the person that actually either contributed and wrote that part or recorded that part right. or both you're just going to fresh ears you're just going to be like listening like if you were just a you know part part of the audience right right so the the video uh for this song is just Man, if you watch that video and you don't get a lump in your throat, something's wrong with you. That it's just really heart wrenching and beautiful all at the same time. And and what really comes across is the brotherhood that you shared with Frankie and with Kevin. But there's some scenes of Frankie's last days in the video where you're with him. Um, walk us back through some of that footage and, and what's going on and, and where that is in the timeline. Yeah, you know, like when you are going through something and you just get so hyper-focused in the situation, let's say somebody is in, in you know, the, at the hospital under deathbed and you're holding their hand, you know, that's, that's, that's all I'm aware of. I'm holding their hand and I'm looking at this person that, that it's a family member somebody that we all love and the thought is it's not like I'm really focused on that the person is dying because I'm more focused on how what we shared as we're alive yeah the moments the memories you know you're going back you're not thinking about the finality of it just think right. about you know having I mean I, I, I let's say 72 last year would have been 50 years that I that of friendship with Frankie, you know, we, you know, he was my mentor. He, uh, he taught me about being a member of the rhythm section, which I was not even aware that a rhythm section existed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a rhythm section and you and me were part of it. Oh, okay. So he taught me how to do that. Uh, because, you know, we started playing early on. I had just turned 22 and, 22 years old today is a whole different 22 years old in the music industry because on, even if you went to school there was no school of rock mm -hmm. i'm talking about music school right so once it comes to rock and roll it's a whole different monster it really is nowadays you know any kid that wants to be a rock musician there's gazillions billions of hours of tutorials how to be yeah. who you want to be back then it's like our only way of finding out was going to rock concerts and watching our heroes play live and you paid attention right right you know you just like you try to get as close as possible to the stage and let's say in my case watching bass players watching the gear watching you know what what instrument they play if they play with pick fingers you know whatever technique uh all of the above that was my school that was my reference there was no no youtube back then you know so at 22, I have been playing a lot before then, but I really was not, I was looking for to be groomed into being a rock musician. Be, prior to that, I was just basically a multi-purpose top 40 musician, which means I could play like uh, Ring of Fire and play uh, <laughs> Fire by the Ohio <laughs> players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fired by Hendrix. You know, all these were songs on the radio. You know, you can go from Janis Joplin to 
through you having my baby by Polanka. Yeah. You know? So it wasn't like, okay, I'm a rock bass player. No, I'm a top 40 bass player. Right. And this is because I was living in Miami and Miami with all the tourism was very top 40 oriented. Once I started traveling up north to Fort Lauderdale, which is where I met Frankie, that's when I, when I really got the exposure of, uh, of the rock scene. Yeah. It did not exist in Miami. It existed, you know, Fort Lauderdale and above. And I, it was when I turned 22 that that's where I, I stopped playing in top 40 bands and started just playing. I mean, I wasn't working a whole lot, but I, I, at least I was getting an education on how to become a, a rock musician. Right. Yeah, the, the video just really shows the, the brotherhood that you share. And I, I wanted to thank uh, Regina and Ashley, uh, Frankie's wife and daughter, for, for allowing you to share that song and that video with the world, because I think it's a wonderful tribute and a, and a great yes. honor to your brother. Yes. And, yeah. and, and I got to say, Regina did it. It's such a beautiful job. Um, she's a filmmaker. She did the uh, the Quiet Riot documentary. Yes. Uh, now you're here. There's no way back. Right. And the footage was unbeknownst to me that it was rolling. You know, uh, I mean, if you look at it, it's, yeah, I have my back turned. You know, we're just so it's right. real. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, Regina being a filmmaker, that's 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 you know that's, that's her. That, that's what she does. You know, she captures moments. You know. Mm. And um, yeah, it, yeah, it's it just it's when I watched the video, I I felt that it really completed the song as far you know com complemented, but it only com it, it completed it. It, it it gave it a clear picture about what the song is about. Yes. it gave it meaning, you know, and. Also, it explains why we carry on as a band, mm -hmm. Quiet Riot, you know, why I came back to the band to celebrate the legacy and the memory of Frank Vanelli and Kevin Dubrow and Randy Rhodes, yeah. which is what I do every single night. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, I think it's a great, it's a great tribute. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, look it up on YouTube, Quiet Riot. I can't mm -hmm. hold on. Wonderful, wonderful tribute. And uh, speaking of uh, the early days of Quiet Riot, I'm not going to go all the way back to the very beginning, but you're celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Metal Health record. Uh, your current lineup is Jizzy Pearl on vocals, Johnny Kelly on drums. Some people might remember him from Typo Negative and Danzig, Alex Grassi on guitar, and you, of course, on bass. So this current lineup, lineup is, is going out. You, you did a bunch of shows last year. Uh, Jason alluded to Monsters on the Mountain earlier in our discussion. Uh, what do you have on on tap for 2023 as far as touring with the current lineup? Oh, as many shows as possible. Um, there, there's going to be some major announcements coming up as far as the complete tour, or at least most of it leading up to, uh, to summer. And uh, But it's just, you know, to go out there and play as many dates as we can. To, uh, to celebrate. Right. I mean, you only, you only get one 40th year anniversary. Right. And this is it. 
Yeah. Well, that album, I mean, for, I, it, it shocks me when I think that that album is 40 years old, because I remember it when it was brand new. And I think all of us do. I mean, that thing came out and just took over the world, went to number one on the charts, put heavy metal in the mainstream, sold 10 million copies, uh, produced the single, the hit singles that will live forever. Come on, feel the noise and bang your head. Metal health. Um Wow. Where were you when you got the news that that album knocked the police synchronicity out of the number one spot on the charts? Um, we were Champaign, Illinois. Wow. He does remember. How could oh, no, you actually, I, actually, no, no. Uh, it's Rockford, Rockford, because I have to associate Rick Nielsen, who was there <laughs> yeah. with the city. It's Rockford. Yeah. Okay. Hometown so, yeah. cheap trick. Yeah. Yeah. Rockford. Yeah. Because we went to his house af after the show and uh, we celebrated. Cool. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I bet that was a party. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very great. small party, but very loud. Yeah. You know, now, I, you know we're, we're all cheap trick fans dating back to, you know, to, to the first time we heard him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so. It was, it was really neat to uh, to hang out with Rick and uh, and he had us come over, you know, to his beautiful home, you know. Well, yeah. I, that's I mean, that album put heavy metal into people's living rooms. It put it on the radio. And so why do you think Metal Health was the right album at the right time? Because prior to that, you had like ACDC Back in Black. Van Halen was starting to pop. Uh, how what was it about the Quiet Riot album? I feel like MTV played a part in it, but I want to hear it from you. Oh, he, uh, definitely MTV. Huge part. Huge part. But, you know, our first single was uh, Metal Health, and it did not, you know, our first video. And back mm -hmm. then, it was sold, you know, singles and video were the same thing, basically. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, as a promotional tool. You, sure. you want to sell singles. As a matter of fact, I have a gold single for Come On, Feel the Noise which is very rare because you have to sell a million of those. So if you, if you have a hit album, why, why are people going to buy the single? It's the same song in the, in, that's in the, you know, that's in the album as a single. So to have a multi-platinum record along with gold single, like I mentioned, it's a million singles. That's really, really rare, but we did. And I, this is my perception of it. And I know I'm going to tell you it's because from experience. So, so I, uh, besides MTV being so instrumental in exposing, you know, playing our video every half hour on the hour, yeah. uh, <laughs> it was the fact that, that come and feel the noise. It's, it's a nursery rhyme. It's uh, three, yeah. three blind mice, you know, three blind mice, come on, feel the noise. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what happened is we used to get children. At our show, you know, like toddlers, just parents would bring their toddlers to, to, you know, to watch the band. I recall like playing, you know, because by that time we were playing with Black Sabbath and I thought, wow, these kids are, <laughs> they just listen to us. Now they're going to listen to Black Sabbath. Wow. Nice. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> but the parents would say, come on, little Johnny, sing for Choir Riot. And the little and the and the baby will go. Come on, feel the noise. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that had a huge part because it just went 
demographics, you know, just open it up. Children, you know, toddlers, teenagers, parents. Yeah. You know, just because the kid liked the song, of course, the parent is going to embrace it. It was not a bad song, you know, as far as lyrically talking about bad things. It was like, feel the noise. Oh, yeah, that could be anything, you know. Right. Yeah, it was it was it wasn't like, like a gangster rap song. Or anything right, like right. <laughs> Yeah. But it, it was it was almost there was almost a sort of a, a cultural shift that came with it, because all of a sudden then I remember some of my friends in high school are now wearing this the black and white striped T-shirts and the bandanas around the neck. People started dressing like Quiet Riot mm -hmm. <laughs> after the MTV thing, because they, they could see what you looked like. Yes. And that's what happens when your video gets played every half hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You said every half hour. I was going to say every fifteen minutes, but I'll, yeah, I'll take yeah. At some point, yeah. I, but I, at least every half hour, because I, I, I noticed it. I went, wait a minute. It's nine. You know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's on. Then at three thirty, it was back on. You know. Yeah. yeah but then again, this is nineteen eighty three. There was there weren't that many rock videos at the right. time. And another thing is, if you notice that video, the band does not come on until like later on in the song yeah and they like that they like that they they like to have actors right. in the video rather than it's, it's the band is throughout the whole video some kind For of some reason storyline yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah that's true that it starts off mm -hmm. with the kid in the bed and the bed starts shaking and yeah the, but I remember those yeah. videos were on all the time. The songs were on the radio all the time. And the album went on to sell, as far as I know, 10 million copies. And it might be even more than that. It's pretty. Yeah, I, I have a, a plaque uh, on my, in, my, in my studio down below. Uh, it was 10 million worldwide, which is Diamond, 2023. So 20, uh, I'm sorry, 20. Uh, oh three, two thousand and three. Oh wow! So twenty years ago, it was already ten million. But now it's so hard to gauge because of all the streaming and downloading and whatever. Right. right. So I call that. I mean, you know, pollution, digital pollution. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are you gonna do? No. Yeah. Well, yeah exactly. It's the future. Well, congratulations. It's a milestone. Well, thank you so you much. Thank you. I, mean, I have to say that bang your head mental health was. It's too bad that that really didn't arc and that it was, I mean, congrats on come on, feel the noise, but I really always felt like mental health and the dynamic of the song, you know, cause the verses are broken down and the chorus is like, you know, punches mm -hmm. you in the face when it comes in, it's more of that kind of a song. And mm -hmm. I just, I think I'm just speaking personally that that mm -hmm. song, I, I think um, really says what that's my quiet riot song. Just in my yeah, it, yeah. It, actually, it has become that now because we actually we close with that song. Of course, yeah. it's yeah. kind of like when Guns and Roses, you know, uh, they put out Welcome to the Jungle first, and it just kind of went nowhere. And then they put out Sweet Child of Mine, and it went big time. And then uh, Welcome to the Jungle kind of came back. And I think that's kind of what the same thing with yeah, Quiet Riot. Yeah, because I remember seeing the Bang Your Head video. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. Kevin escaping the the mental ward in the padded room and the mask rolling down the hallway. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but it was kind of one of those things that was on at three in the morning or whatever. And then it maybe after come on, feel the noise, then it was in heavy rotation and kind of made it kind of came back. Yeah. Yeah. How much of that album are, are you on? Because I know you're not on all of it, but you are on most of it. Is that correct? 
the, if the you have a copy of the uh, of the vinyl, do you have a copy nearby? I do. I don't have it nearby, but I do have it. Yes. Okay. Uh, Look at our background. You know we have it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In the back, from from the first pressing, it says uh, Chuck Wright uh, under the additional musicians. Okay. okay. Played on "Don't Want to Let You Go" and mm-hmm. "Mental Health." Right. I played on the rest of the record. Got now it. you have to remember, I did most of that record when I was still a member of Ozzy. Yeah. 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 I went in to just record one song as a tribute to Randy. That was Thunderbird. And since I knew a lot of the material, because let's say Slick Black Cadillac, we used to do that in the Randy Rose version of the band. Right. And then a couple of the, uh, a lot of the other songs were actual Dubrow songs. I mean, the band w- was not called Quiet Riot at that moment. It was still wow. known as Dubrow. It wasn't until I came back in the band that the band officially became known as Quiet Riot. And to prove it, there's a book that's coming out, or is out already, actually. It's called Keep On Rolling. And the text, I mean, photos by Ron Sobel, which was our lighting guy and and photographer who traveled with the band, best friends with everybody, Ron Sobel, photos of early Quiet Riot stuff, and Dubrow, and and also Mark Wise, and the text is written by the uh, the, the Dubrow and Metal Health version of, the, of Quiet Riot, <clears throat> fan club president, Missy Whitney. So, and she's got like, you know the the letters fan club letters that will go out to the fans and the october letter is when it's announced that the that i'm back in the band and the band is renamed quiet riot and that's when we got the record deal wow okay yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, speaking of your time in ozzy i have a copy of this 2006 your book called off the rails mm-hmm. and uh it's a great account, firsthand account, obviously, of being on the road with Ozzy and Randy Rhodes. This would be the Blizzard of Oz, uh, Diary of a Madman, Speak of the Devil tours. And um, there's a number of things in this book I'd love to ask you about, but we're, we're going to run out of time, so I'll pick a couple. Um, you mentioned in the book, and I think you've maintained for, for years, that you're, you're pretty convinced that Randy Rhodes saved a lot of lives the day that the plane crashed. Uh, tell us a little bit about your thinking on that. Why is that? Well, just from what I was told by the people that were actually on the ground, when I say on the ground, it's uh, Jake Duncan, our tour manager, and Don Airy, our keyboard player. They were taking photos of the flight. And Tommy Aldrich, Ozzy and Sharon, myself, we were asleep in the bus. Right. And so the only witnesses that we have are Jake and Don Airy. And Don was taking photos with a lens and and he says that they witnessed struggle, the plane going like this, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like somebody, you know, somebody was trying to keep the, the plane from going into the bus. And they had camera right in front of their face. So it was very hard for them to tell exactly, you know, the depth of feel of how close something was to them. All they know is that he had the camera on his face and all of a sudden the plane went by and it was perpendicular to the ground. It was like this, not like, not like this, like a plane flies, 
right. uh, like this. As a matter of fact, I stood right next to the point of impact wow. where the tip of the wing hit the buzz and it went to my nose. That's how low it was. And we were asleep in the bus. That's how I woke up. I woke up to I woke up to this boom. And I have no idea what it is. I, I mean, I'm in my bunk. It's all dark. So I, you know, so anyways, so that's how close we were to actually the plane crashing into the bus. And like I mentioned, Jake and Don, they witnessed this struggle to keep the plane going on a straight path. Right, right. What do you, man, there's so much to talk about, but I, I let me, let me jump ahead. I want to, I want to mention a fun, a funny note in this book. You talk mm. about when you are, Ozzy does his first interview with you in the band mm. and it's your first time to see your name in print as a member of the Ozzy Osbourne band. And he's quoted mm. as calling you Rudy from Cuba. <laughs> and that yeah. was your big debut, Rudy from Cuba. <laughs> That's right. Well, at least you got the country right. So I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed, you know. Uh, yeah, I had just joined the band that day. Wow. And you know, what's this guy's name? You know, right. <laughs> I can't believe him. It wasn't like, you know, like Joe Smith, you know, it was like Rudy Sarzo. What the hell is that? <laughs> you know? What's a Sarzo, you know? <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> I thought that was funny. But then you go on to say you were actually kind of proud of that because your, your background coming from Cuba, no one would have ever expected that you would make a career out of music. And here you are playing in one of the biggest bands in the world. So you actually, he, okay, so he didn't get your last name in print, but yeah. he did mention the fact that you were from Cuba and that was a, a point of pride for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For so many reasons, that being one of them and I, I mean, you know, when you mention a musical path, well, it, I mean, rock and roll is not the only musical path. There's a lot of different musical paths out there. I might have gone, maybe play some salsa. Yeah. Maybe be be a band leader like uh, Ricky Ricardo. It's not know. too late. <laughs> it's not yeah, too late. Yeah. I'm working yeah. on it. I'm working on it. What do you remember <laughs> about uh, the dates? If you remember anything, uh, the dates that, that you it's guys there. Did, yeah. yeah, that you guys yeah. did with uh, uh, Oz, it was Ozzy uh, with Motorhead supporting coming yeah. coming to yeah. Texas. What do you remember Texas, about some yeah. of those Texas? Oh God, yeah. Uh, well, there were two Texas uh, memories, and I'm talking about tours. We did the one in with Motorhead. That's when Ozzy pissed on the Alamo. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, there's a, there's a backstory to it, but uh, he he got arrested. He pissed on the Alamo, mm -hmm. and uh, so we, uh, yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I thought that was the Diary of a Madman tour. No, Diary, yeah. yeah, yeah, because I'm thinking back, and I'm, I'm thinking, who was the opening band for that? Because I can always tell what what leg of the tour that was according to who was opening. So it was Blizzard of Oz with Motorhead. Yeah. Yeah. With Mo Yo, absolutely. I know that. And we played at the John Houston Coliseum in San Antonio. When, when that happened, the Alamo. Uh, I forget who the hmm. opening act was on the, yeah. on the Blizzard of, I mean, on the diary tour. Yeah. Well, I mean, in diary, we had UFO. 
uh, we started, yeah, we started with UFO. Then we had uh, a Starfighters. We have Magnum. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know what? I have to look, look back at the book because you know when I, when I wrote the book, I have diaries and references. And, oh, cool. Uh, you know that explains everything, so everything is is accurate according to whatever. Played, uh, I is think you played, played Palmer Auditorium in Austin on Blizzard of Oz in Austin, Texas. Palmer so, Auditorium. Yeah, yeah, but but I'm talking about San Antonio. Yeah, right. uh, because that's that's where the being on the Alamo. Yeah, <laughs> happened, I, I you know, yeah. and yeah. So tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yes. Yes, because we had just come from either Houston or Dallas that uh, that morning, and we had to fly in. We got kicked off the bus. We got fired that day, and uh -oh. uh, yeah, yeah, we did. It was a big incident. But this is what happened. Randy did not want to record the uh, "Speak of the Devil" album, right? Mm. So he told he told Ozzy flat out, "No, I'm not doing it." And so Ozzy was freaking out because they had, every day got us closer to actually having to record this. And it was going to be live. That was supposed to be in Toronto live with a big major production. And, and, and so Randy quit the band. Mm -hmm. He quit the band. Wow. He told, he told Ozzy, listen, I, I want to go back to school. I want to get my, my degree in music and, and so on. And so Ozzy was freaking out. And so he had not gone to sleep for a few days. <laughs> and, okay. and so we are sitting at the bar because they, for some reason, the rest in this hotel, the restaurant was not open. And we're sitting and having coffee, you know, getting ready to go on the bus to head out to, to San Antonio. And uh, Ozzy just walks in and just starts yelling and screaming and throwing things around. And before you know it, we're fired. Everybody's kicked off the bus. <laughs> wow. <Whoa>. So, <laughs> so we had to, I mean, back, back in the day, you know, 40 years ago, you could, you can make travel plans on the spot, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could arrive before the plane took off, like you know, ten minutes, and then you walk through. You get your ticket and walk to the gate, and you get on the plane. It's, a, it's way different now. Right. So all these all these things were reorganized, and Ozzy and Sharon went on the tour bus to San Antonio. We got there later because we had to, like, you know, wait for the plane and then get to the airport, and you know, then. Get, get on the plane, land, and then from the airport, get back to, you know, go to the hotel. And once I get there, even though we were fired, <laughs> we went to our rooms, you know, just to see what was going on. And all of a sudden, I walk by the hotel bar in San Antonio, and there's Ozzy sitting there with uh, our publicist and a bunch of press people from England that they had come in, come in to do a... Uh, a uh, an interview with Ozzy, and Ozzy's dressed in drag. <laughs> he's, he's got Sharon's clothes on, right. and he's sitting there, right? And he's like drinking, you know, having a great old time. But then I say, okay, so Sharon says, listen, boys, just just, just go to sound check. I'm, I'm taking care of this. Because, you know, we, we thought we were fired, you know? And <laughs> so I'm 
I, I finish sound check and I go to the dressing room and, and all of a sudden we, we hear that Ozzy has been arrested mm-hmm. for pissing on the Alamo, a national monument, you know? Right. And it's like, okay, there's going to be a riot here. I mean, if we don't do the show, you know, it was sold out and, and it's like, you can cancel this. This is Texas. You, you know, you don't do stuff like this. People are going to show up and they pay their hard earned money to see a show and damn it. There you got to deliver, you know? So Sharon, fortunately, she was able to talk to the police and say, says, listen, if Ozzy doesn't get out of here and go and do the show, there's going to be a riot. Right. And she says, and we're not going to be responsible for it. It's in your hands. So they release Ozzy and, yeah, that's what happened that day. <laughs> and you were rehired on the spot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? It was one of those things you don't even talk about it. You just yeah. carry on. It's like it's like it's nothing, nothing happened, you know. <laughs> so yeah. he was he was angry on the spot and he forgot that he he forgot that he yeah. hired you. He probably forgot. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was drinking and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's monumental and it made history. Headlines, yeah, still talking about it. That's you put this book together uh, with the help of you were you were keeping journals and diaries this whole time, Mm -hmm. and so I Mm -hmm. wanted to ask if you continue Mm -hmm. to do that because you have a whole nother uh, chapters of your career we haven't even talked about. I could see a great White Snake book coming out of you, Mm -hmm. a Ronnie James Dio book coming out of you. So, do you continue to keep journals, and will there be any more books in the future? Uh, Maybe a coloring book. That's that's as far as my plan goes. It's way easier than than writing one of those. Uh, no, and I'll tell you why. Okay, uh, first of all, I did, I wrote the book just to answer the number one question, which is uh, that I get when I travel around the world, which is what was it like to play with Randy Rhodes? Mm-hmm. And I had to, I needed three hundred pages in order to uh, to express what it was like, uh, and that's it. Everything else now, thanks to people like yourself, and I have a I have a show on Monsters of Rock Radio called Six Degrees of Sarso that I get to do my my own podcast cool. radio interview. Uh, you know, we're able to document our stories orally now in podcasts, you know, audio, video, whatever. And it's to me that's just like writing a book. It's all right there. You listen to the person talking about it, or you can read about it in a book. But I just rather rather listen to it, so I get all the inflections, mm. how they the tone, the tone of what they say. You know, yeah, right. right. Yeah, right. And, and and what's beautiful about it is, you know, when you have it, when we're having a conversation like this, there's so many. You could ask me about the same subject, but in a certain way that you ask me certain words will trigger certain perception of the same of the same incident or moment or memory right i could see that i could see that that the conversational tone lends Mm -hmm. itself its own little flavor to the to the answer audible exactly audibles trigger different a a slightly different answer almost every time depending on who's asking the question and and the other the uh, the time of day like i previously did a a podcast uh, earlier today and I w- it wasn't like I was fully as, you know, like 
I have been awake for a while, but I was still in a very relaxed state. So my answers become a little bit different. Mm-hmm. They have different layers to it and different depth. You know, whereas like today, it's uh, it's about lunchtime here. And, and so um, my mind is, it's more focused on what he's going to have this reality, this dimension. <laughs> I, I, uh, I study uh, quantum physics. So in the morning, you find me more in the quantum field than I am now, because now I'm dealing with a lot of reality, a lot of like here and now, rather than all the possibilities that, that can come from right. being in the quantum field. Yeah. Wow. I can see that. I feel like I'm more creative in the morning when I first wake up and my mind isn't polluted with all the news of the day and the and the rat race and all that stuff. So you get a different version of me first thing in the morning than you do in the middle of the day or at the end of the day. I feel Absolutely. like I feel like being yeah. creative is me shutting the door on all of the noise as you called it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when I have a song that I need to finish, I can like literally go into a a quiet place in my head so I can finish what I need, get back to the fantasy of where I need to be to create, finish the lyric. What does this song need right now and not be polluted by anything else? That's what music is to me. It's a fantastical place that I can go and feel something where I don't, where I'm not being bombarded by things I don't want to mm. be bombarded with. So that's a that's a good way to. What are you gonna have for lunch, Rudy? <laughs> I had oatmeal. Oatmeal, okay. <laughs> for lunch, you've already eaten lunch. Yeah, I yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's afternoon here, okay. so, and I get up, I, I get up at six. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because again, you know, it's I'm, I'm quite I, I have the household to myself, and I put my 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 AirPods on. So I'm, you know, whatever I'm watching TV, I listen through here. So I'm not disturbing anybody, you know, my wife or, or my mom done now, now lives with us. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I, I just immerse myself in my own world. Do you, uh, we, we told your publicist, we'd only keep you for 45 minutes and we've hit that. Mark. Okay. If you, if you have a couple more minutes, we'd love to ask yeah. you a few more questions. I, yeah. I, we can't really we can't let you go without asking about White Snake because mm-hmm. once again you came in on on an album that exploded and that album mm-hmm. was again all over MTV all over radio talking about the White Snake 1987 album in this case mm-hmm. you hadn't played on the album but you were in mm-hmm. all the iconic videos all the mm-hmm. videos with Tawny Katane all the radio mm-hmm. hits the tours were mm-hmm. massive you were one of the biggest bands out there at the time. Uh, just give me a, 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 a synopsis of your time in Whitesnake. What was it like working with David Coverdale? You had three mm-hmm. great guitar players come in and out of that band. Uh, Steve Vai, Vivian Campbell, uh, Adrian Vandenberg. Uh, just tell me a little bit about your time in Whitesnake because we want to include that. Yeah, in 1984, Whitesnake was the support band for Quiet Riot. So I got to know David and, I was and there. the yeah, and the band very, very well, you That's know. Right. Yeah. And um, so before I we started the, the tour, I had given Quiet Riot notice that I was gonna leave after I fulfilled my commitments to the dates mm-hmm. you know, that have been signed, you know, the contracts and all of that. 
And uh, so on the last day of our tour with White Snake, uh, David, you know, we threw a party for the band. And, and as, as we were partying, leaving, you know, you hug each other and he whispers in my ear. He goes, someday soon we're going to play together. And I go, wow, how does he know that I'm leaving the band? Because it was not, mm. you know, publicized that I was leaving. So anyways, so as soon as, soon as I finished the tour, I'm out of the band and I get a call from their management. And at that time, Tommy Aldridge and I were trying to put a band together. This is 1985, early 85. So they invite us to join the band. And since I knew the dynamics, I experienced the dynamics, the, the friction that was going on with the band and David, uh, it was still there, the friction, you know, the elements of the friction. So I think I, I, I decided not to leave one situation to join another situation. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I, 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 I passed on it. So Tommy and I were, like I said, we were just actually asked to join the band at that time, which meant that we would have recorded on the 87 record. Also means that two years later, when the album came out, we were probably not going to be in the band <laughs> by then, <laughs> just like everybody else. So... I got to tell you my, my experience with the band as a touring member and then later on playing on, on Slip of the Tongue and, you know, going through the pre-production and recording process and touring of that record. Uh, I'll take that. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think we all would. I'm, yeah. I'll yeah. take that. <laughs> if you won't take yeah. it, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. There's I'll a couple that. of, yeah. there's a couple of, um, Oh, more than a couple, but uh, of things that sort of put you at what I would call, and I hope I, I my la the last thing I want to do is embarrass you, put you on the spot, mm. but but because uh, I have so much respect, but living legend status, um, I I that's a heavy crown, and I wouldn't want to you know embarrass you in any way but it's yeah, it's, it's yeah, pretty it's yeah. pretty uh it's pretty crazy just in the rock world uh what you your legacy has uh has attached itself to that is on the lips of every right in my in my world every mm. true rock and roll person who uh who you know they all own your stuff that you've been involved with everyone i know owns mm. records that you're on or bands you toured mm. with uh, whether it's uh, Blue Oyster Cult or, you know, whatever. Uh, how does that make you feel at, at where you are in life? Mm. Uh, and just the love. I mean, it's love. People love you, Rudy. Well, thank you. But, you know, having said that, what, what keeps me balanced yeah. is, uh, is as I view my life through my eyes, um, you, I, I, if you're going to call it living legend, I will add by association. Sure, that's living legend by association. Completely fair. Because because I'm i one thing about me is I'm only as good as the people I play with. Wow, wow. You know, you're here. Yeah, yes. and, and if I am really good, it's because I'm playing with some real monsters. Yeah, you know, well, some uh, great players. Okay. You know what I mean? Badass car has many parts that make it a badass car. 
Exactly. And so, yeah, by association. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I mean, if, if I look at life being a journey, being a constant learning process, what better for me than to be playing with some of the greatest mm. and learn from them mm. about everything? Oh, my God. I mean, people don't, do not ask me enough about Theo. I was just going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. And that's what did like, you learn from Dio? Oh, my God. How much time do we have? Yeah, right. <laughs> we have all as, as much time as you have. Actually, if you watch the documentary, you, you, get, the, uh, you get a really good sense of, of, uh, of how much, not how much, but some of the things that I do learn from him. Because he was, he was one of those people. And Randy Rhodes and him as musicians just filled it up for me. Uh, Frankie originally as my original rhythm section mentor did that for me. And then you have Randy and then you have Ronnie, uh, complete, uh, leading by example. Mm. That's how, you know, Ronnie never sat down and told me, you gotta do this. I watched him and he knew I was watching him. And him being originally a trumpet player, a musician, classically trained, being a bass player, being a composer, being Ronnie James Dio, period. Uh, there was a lot to learn, to learn, and a lot to watch, and a lot, and it just it it took my life to a whole different level. Wow, Ronnie, you know, but it was just by watching him be Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. My God, he used, he used to like, when I first joined the band, <laughs> okay, this, this, this was typical Ronnie. Okay, he would do a show, sing for two hours, they would go backstage, and within five, ten minutes, his, uh, his uh, personal, you know, manager will come in and say, listen, there's some people here to see you. And he'll go, oh, I just got off the stage, I'm tired. Okay, let me go. Okay, so he'll go. And then about 15 minutes later, I'll follow him just to see what's going on, right? I just joined the band, so I'm kind of getting a feel for things. And, and there's Ronnie, and he will always have, we will have like, like, a, like a glass of beer, like a mug, and he will never go down. He was just holding it, right? <laughs> it's a prop. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and he would be like talking, and his conversation would go, so, how's your cousin Bill? Is he, how's his health? Did he get that surgery? And I'm going like, oh, he must, he must, he must really know these people very well. No, he hadn't seen them like in years, but he remembered that. Wow. So from town to town, he would do the same thing. And I, and I thought, there's gotta be a trick to this. <laughs> this is, this is too insane that he remembers every person's name, their family members, friends, what they do for a living, every single show, wow. everywhere, everywhere around the world. Yeah. He did that. And it was like, and that was, that was like my entry into, you know, that world of Ronnie James Dio where everything was like, I can't believe this. This is just amazing. Yeah. Every was, day was just like that. Yeah. I was lucky enough to meet him in 2007 and me and my wife went backstage and it, it was, it was incredible because he wanted to know more about me than I wanted to know about him. 
And it was just, I mean, he was so personable and genuinely interested in knowing who his fans were and what you did for a living and where you lived and where you grew up and all that stuff. So I can only imagine what it's like traveling with him on a daily basis and witnessing all that. Oh, and the crew, the crew loved him. Oh my God. They would, you know, like, let's say when we were not touring as Dio, they would, you know, go into do other different tours and then management will call them and say, Hey, yeah, Ronnie's going back out in, in, in three months. So they will tell whoever they're with and say, listen, I got to go. Ronnie needs me. Everybody would say, yeah, go ahead. That's the respect that Ronnie had where the rest of the industry understood when somebody was leaving their tour to go back to work with Ronnie. Wow. Yeah. One last question and then I'll let you go. I wanted to know uh, who is your inspiration as far as your showmanship is concerned? Because you're not one of these bass players that just stands in the background. You play the bass upside down. You play overhand on the fretboard. You lick the bass. (laughs) Where did all that come from? Very few people know this, but I think it's about time that I revealed it. I, I used to be one of the original Chippendales dancers <laughs> back in the 70s. <laughs> Wait, Wait, are you being serious? <laughs> yeah, we have an ex- <laughs> We have an exclusive, an exclusive here on the Talk Loud yeah, podcast. Yeah, exclusive right there. Wow. Breaking news. <laughs> wow. What, what city? Were you in Miami? Or where were you? Oh, no. Um, Hollywood. You were Hollywood, yeah. a Hollywood yeah. Chippendale dance. Yeah. 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 I, if you ever watch, if you ever watch the, the Netflix um, miniseries, I'm the guy with the big porno mustache. <laughs> I looked a little bit different back then. Are you then. being yeah. serious right I now? I don't know if he's joking or not. <laughs> he's messing with us, man. <laughs> oh, man. Put, if we're not careful, we'll put that in the description. We just got <laughs> clowned. We just got clowned. <laughs> no. I mean, okay. Let, let, me, let, me turn, let me turn the question around. And I'm going to ask you guys. Okay. What inspires you guys to breathe? <laughs> Right. I want to live. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same for me going on stage. It's the same thing. It's yeah, like breathing. And, and, you know, and, and it's different with different bands. You know, you get the vibe. You listen to the lyrics. You know, with White Snake, it's more that sexual undertones into all the lyrics. You know, it's a blues bass band, you know. Um, with Ozzy, it was more metal, more like, you know, Mr. Crowley. You know, it's like, when you got like Pitten's Got Claws and Mr. Crowley, there's two different bands. It's a whole, two different emotions that come out. Yeah. Uh, Quiet Riot was just rebellious youth. We're talking about 40 years ago, so I was much younger. <laughs> yeah. We were more in touch with our teenhood than we are now. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know. So now, you, weren't, <laughs> you weren't you weren't licking your bass during Mr. Crowley. No, 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 that did not. Actually, let me tell you the story about licking the bass. Very Please, simple. yes. Okay, okay. So here we're doing uh, the "Here I Go Again" video, and the next day we're, we're scheduled to do the uh, uh, "Is This Love" video, which means that we're showing up at nine o'clock, nine o'clock call for "Here I Go Again" video, and here we are, three o'clock in the morning. We're still shooting the video. Now we're doing close-ups. And I got to be back at 9 o'clock again to start the, the uh, Is This Love video. Well, 
not the following day, like in a few hours, I have to be back back in the studio. Right. Okay. So uh, it's my turn, three o'clock in the morning. Director goes, okay, roll it. They they do it. I'm tired. I'm I'm just like, okay. And then it's go, you know, the song ends and it goes cut and it goes to me. Is that all you got? And I went, mm. oh God. Uh, I'm gonna be here all night long. Okay. Please give me another another pass. So they go and I did everything I could think of, move-wise, things that I've never done before, just to just just to get it done. <laughs> and so I could go home and come back again the next day and do it all over again. So yeah, we finished that that take and, and it goes, okay, we got it. Okay, go home. We'll, we'll see you in a few hours. So a few weeks later, when we get to watch the actual cut, the edit of the video, I've forgotten about all of that. I've moved on to other things in my mind. So I'm watching the video and I see the me lick, licking the bass and I believe Dave licks Tony's leg, you know, <laughs> cut after cut. And I go, oh, okay, that's cool. And I think, wow, if that's the, you know, if that's the worst that they put in the video, it's not too bad because there was actually worse stuff that I was doing just to get it done <laughs> so I could leave. And that was it. Well, when I say that, I think of the other stuff. <laughs> what was the other stuff that was? I'm not going to tell you. It, it might show up someday on the, the director's cut. <laughs> Yeah, the X-rated, triple X-rated. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Rudy, thank you so much for all your time today, man. You are a oh, great so conversation. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we wish you all the luck in the world and continued success and continued health. Uh, thank people you. can look for you out on the road with Quiet Riot in 2023. You've got a tour coming up, dates to be announced soon. Uh, there is a new track called I Can't Hold On, and uh, it's a great video on YouTube. Great track with Rudy playing bass, Frankie on drums, Kevin on vocals, and Alex Grazi on guitar. And uh, we appreciate you sharing your stories with us today. Thanks for staying a few extra minutes. Thank you, Rudy. And uh, we really appreciate no it. On behalf Thank of my so co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave, along with our special guest, Rudy Sarzo, today on the Talk Louder podcast. Thank you so much, Rudy. Thank you so much. God bless you.